So we've talked about radiant damage and today is all about necrotic. Do you have a preference between the two? I mean, necrotic is more flavorful, so I like it better. Uh, but if I was a player, I would I would want radiant more. There are more things that are immune or resistant to necrotic than there are immune or resistant to radiant. I so would totally agree with that, yeah. Radiant is a more powerful uh, damage type, but necrotic is definitely more fun, especially from a DM perspective. Not a whole lot of players that are resistant or immune to necrotic damage. You can wither them nicely. Yeah. I think I... it's all about the flavor because both of them can be quite flavorful. It's all about the your campaign that you're running. Are they tending to go more necrotic or radiant? And whatever one they tend to go and be themselves, do the opposite and flavor it. Mm-hmm. I tend to go more necrotic as a player. I don't know that I have very many that do radiant damage, but I I play very chaotic characters, so See, and I don't opposite. really like I don't really pay attention to mechanics and like all of that. I I'm all just flavor. It's like what the character would have, not what is stronger. Um, and my characters would definitely be more necrotic than radiant. See, see mine are more radiant for the same reason. I try and bust up the damage and everything. Mm-hmm. And although necrotic has that, I just like to use radiant. Maybe it's because who I am. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I'm a more radiant whenever I'm playing my characters because I tend to be the good guy. Yeah, I don't play very many good guys. The la- don't worry. The last cleric I played got eaten thoroughly by a thousand rats. Yeah, the last cleric I played was a duck cleric, so. <laughs> well, the last barbarian you played was relatively naked most of the time. Tyler as well, if I remember correctly. Well, that's just being a barbarian. We don't speak of that. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on dragons in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I'm Tyler, and with me today are Pepperina and Adam, and this episode is called Topaz Dragons, Dry and Antisocial Temperament. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to look at a kind of dragon that you may never ever run into, the Topaz Dragon. How does a surly and standoffish creature add to an interesting social encounter? What kind of tactics will a non-combatant use? And does this dragon give us any new way to think about necrotic damage? These guys seem like absolutely frustrating NPCs to have to interact with. So before we get started, I just wanted to ask, what was the most frustrating NPC that you have ever encountered in D&D? And did you appreciate them or did you just hate them? Do you just want to roll for initiative. Yeah. I got a four. I got an 11. I got an eight. It's so hard to answer this question because I'm always DMing. And well, I don't... what's what's the most frustrating NPC that you've ever D that you've ever made as a dungeon master? Then? That's what I was thinking, and I was going to go from is I made a character for my players who is a fat, fat merchant. He almost looked like a blob, and he was incredibly pompous and sure of himself and he had all the riches to prove it and he flaunted it in front of all the characters whenever they were passing whenever they were passing the roads and my characters just wanted to to strangle him but he had so many armed guards that it was just not worth it 
They played pranks on him, though, numerous times. And then eventually they found out he was actually a demon and they wound up battling him. And it was very close call, but they busted their butt out and made it out alive. But the most annoying NPC to them. And when they finally got to kill him as a demon, it's just like oh, breath of fresh air. Um, My most frustrating NPC was Irina in Strad because um, Strad was in love with her more than us. And we hated her for that <laughs> to the point where um, we pushed her in a fountain to try and kill her um, to get rid of her so that Strad would marry us. <laughs> this sounds like a bad episode of The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we were Is that like, a bad thing? We are like, that bitch. I don't know what he sees in her. We're going to shove her in this fountain. <laughs> um. I do everything in my power to come up with at least one frustrating NPC uh, every four sessions or so. And not someone that is going to be necessarily confrontational, but is going to make you jump through hoops in order to get what you want. Uh, uh, most of my NPCs are helpful because that's what the, their enemies or they're helpful. They, they land on the, you know, the good or evil. But every once in a while, I'll get a self-serving NPC. Uh, my favorite one right now is Camion, which I've spoken about a couple times in the past, and he was an imp. Um, and he was just always there to help for a price. And the price was always legitimate. And if you could outthink him, he would honor the agreement. So this wasn't like a monkey's paw kind of situation where you would say, you know, help us get out of the canyon, and then he would help you by killing you and dragging your bodies out. Like, it wasn't one of those. He would legitimately help you, but for a price. And if you didn't pay it, that's okay. He'll get his money's worth, and if he's not going to get it in money, he is going to get it in souls. And so he was just consistently in the background killing NPCs. Um, and it took, he's been in like five campaigns. It has taken my players a long time to figure out um, that some NPCs just go missing and are never heard from again. And because they don't keep accurate notes, they're not certain which. So over the course of five campaigns, which are all linked in the same world, Camion has... um has racked up exactly 100 kills and on the 100th kill uh he got to rank up to go from an imp to the next level of devil uh and so my players love to hate camion also he's a familiar of one of the warlocks in one of the campaigns so that's also an issue for them um is though, it an issue <laughs> well she can't get rid of him no matter how hard she tries so and it's an unwanted familiar <laughs> yes incredibly helpful and will save her bacon on a regular basis but uh, did just murder one of the kings of the uh, levels of hell uh, and super power up. And now he's like a CR 20 creature. So uh, all of his scheming and plotting has paid off. The king probably deserved it. Yeah. Well, he has an army and they're going to invade the world somewhere around uh, level 16. And the players don't know it yet. Key word in that sentence. <laughs> yet. Yep. Also, none of my players actually listen to the podcast anymore because they are all too busy. And this means that I can give my little trade secrets and not have to be coy and demure about it. So see, I can't do that. Record this six months in advance. So <laughs> if if Dave, Megan, uh, Dan, or Casey, or Mieka are listening to this, <laughs> fuck you. Here comes Camion. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. Okay, before we get any deeper into our discussion on Topaz Dragons, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on dragons in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. 
And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before we get into what's being offered on our Patreon this week, I just want to say thank you to Jerilyn, who is our newest patron and has offered us pizza, but it's only Little Caesars. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, I sit down with the only It's a Mimic host who has actually run through the Tomb of Annihilation to cover that campaign in a Legend Lore episode where we get into the nitty gritties of it. It's largely considered to be one of the better adventures out there and is good enough to have a number of tie-in PDFs that were published back in 2017. But in today's landscape, is it worth your money and your time and is it up to our high standards? If you'd like to check out our Patreon, the link is in the show notes below. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. So as we begin our discussion on Topaz Dragons, let's look at what Fizban himself has to say in the quotes we find in the book. The first one says, A Topaz Dragon named Blustertail once complained to me that he hated water because it talked too much, whatever that means. I'm still perplexed about that one too. The second one that we see in there says, sometimes the evening sun catches the topaz dragon just right. And I forget whom I'm talking to, thinking it's my dear Sardior return to me at last. I love that quote, because it's not just mushy-gushy. It's not just absent-mindedness of Fizban. If we look at who Sardior is, it's the first gem-born dragon. I, uh, is Sardier actually? I don't think Sardier is actually a gem dragon. Well, I think I think just he he she they. Remember, there's no um, gender assigned to this one. This is just the only neutral dragon. And, true. Yeah. And we, it's really uh, fifth edition is coy about its lore, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and as much as we have Bahamut and Tiamat and Sardier is the first three, Fizban is clearly Bahamut. We're so just, I love this tie into that. Yeah, we're just not supposed to acknowledge that, right? So, yeah. um, so like this is what one of his siblings who's gone missing for eons. So I like that. It's I don't think this is a romantic, my beloved. I think this is a like a, a memory faded in the past. Yeah, I agree. I get, yeah, normally these quotes we don't get like really a look into Fizbin himself. They're more just like whimsy about the dragon. So I think this gives us a little a little peek into him mm-hmm. which is totally amazing mm-hmm. i want more of that i want more of that so let's talk about the the actual topaz dragons themselves due to the necrotic energy from the negative plane that's coursing through them topaz dragons themselves are a natural embodiment of decay and despair now this idea of the negative plane we we talked briefly about it in our crystal dragons episode episode 203 we talked about the positive plane and the negative plane being the opposite and it's not an actual plane that you can visit but more so it's where the powers come from that is anything negative for example raising the dead or anything that is causing necrotic damage. It comes from the negative plane. But again, 5th edition, next to nothing on it. You'd have to dig deep into 3.5 and even earlier just to even find any information on these things. But just to get a 
an idea of what we mean when we say the negative plane. Now, due to their psionic powers drawn from this negative plane, they exude from their very being the idea of entropy, the idea that everything will eventually die and decompose. As such, they often come across as a morbid curmudgeon of a dragon. I can just see like a wrinkled old man dragon just... just... But if we look at what they actually look like, at the wormling stage, the scales have this pale orangish yellow hue to them, and it's kind of dull, cloudy looking. As they grow older, the scales become more translucent, seeming almost to have many layers to them, and that cloudiness of the scales begins to clarify. As for the shape of them, they are wider at the haunch, which means for bards who are, <laughs> this is for bards who are drawn to larger posteriors and cannot tell a fib. The little uh, junk in the badonkadonk? Yeah. But they taper down the closer to the head that you get, similar to a wedge shape if you were to look at them from above, or more often than not, if you're looking from below. And one unique feature about them are their wings, because they're designed in such a way that it more so propels them forward as they fly as well as when they're swimming. How this actually looks, as a DM, I would want to flavor that and what that actually looks like, both in the water and in the air, and I would make it different than other dragons. Their wings almost look backwards in shape. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. I definitely noticed that when I was looking at them. Because I've, I've, painted, I've painted a lot of wings. <laughs> so, like, the spines and stuff on them, I was like, those are backwards. Well, it makes me think that they're more uh, predatory. Right, because when you look at how uh, eagles and hawks and whatnot dive, you know they they very much have the wings pointed forward as opposed to things like um uh like starlings and sparrows and stuff. Their wings kind of point backwards. So I feel like these guys are just based on their design, really good hunters. Also, their tails super long. Hey, eh? we had is. we had two tails for the crystal dragon, and then this really long one for the topaz. I wonder if weird tails and wings and shit is a consistent thing throughout the gem dragons. Maybe also, we'll find a Yoda tail ears? on that. So what? What's that? Does it have Yoda ears? I'm looking at, at the picture on page 223 of Fizzbands, and it's it looks like he has Yoda ears. They're sort of like fins, which I imagine has something to do with the swimming in aquatic. Yeah, like they almost does. look like like little fins coming off of their heads. Yeah, it, I would almost want to say it looks like uh, gremlin ears almost. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting that Fizban says that this is, you know, he gets them confused with uh, Sardior himself. So are these ones that look the most like what Sardior would look like then? It's very possible, but he says it's more so in the gleam of their spines, like when he, he just kind of gets lost in the gaze. So maybe? I don't know. Well, we've all been lost in some gaze at one point or another. This is true. Something to watch out for with these guys are the gem spines that do run from the ridge from tip to tail along the dragon, as we were just talking about. Because this is where they concentrate their negative psionic powers from. And they kind of just float above them, dancing and moving, depending on the dragon's mood. I like that flavor that they're just kind of floating there. They're not necessarily attached, but I wonder if you can remove them. I do love it specifies the spines hover above a living topaz dragon. So that makes me curious what happens when they die. Do they just fall? Do they detach completely and just fall to the ground? Or do they disintegrate or mm-hmm. cuz that's kind of the whole the whole deal is they like to make things disintegrate. That's true. They could just crumble. into nothingness. 
I like the I like the um, moment of the dragon finally dies, and you hear the almost like wind chimes as all of these these gems hit the ground, and maybe some of them even crack and shatter. But like, I I bet it rings beautifully. Yeah. That now I want to know what that sounds like. Beautiful death toll. <laughs> I'm just I'm just right now trying to find um I'm going through the book. And I'm looking at uh, what some of the other um, dragons look like as far as these these spines go. The Great Worm has one, of course. Um, uh, the uh, gemstone, the super gemstone, has as stuff that floats. But it looks like the emerald does as well. I know the crystal did, right? So, like, I think this is a general theme. I, I'm not sure if the sapphire, or the amethyst, do. The but. sapphire doesn't have like spines that float but it does have little bits that float off of um like its face and its horns and its tail okay even the draconic shard in the book has little floating pieces that was based mm-hmm. on on uh, gem dragons clearly so I, I do believe the amethyst also has floating I, I think that is a matching theme like almost this ethereal kind of feel to them mm-hmm. yeah so I- I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find a picture of the amethyst. There's so few. Yes, it does. It has it has big ones that. Oh yeah, that's uh, some big hefty shards on that there beast. Yeah. Don't get excited there, Adam. I'm gonna get lost in the gaze. So with these guys, while they're not necessarily malicious, like the distant black dragon cousins, they are the embodiment of decay. To them, destruction is a natural course of action to make way for new creation as the decomposed materials add to the soil to encourage better growth for the future. And this is why they use their powers to turn what is already dead and diseased into dust to make way for the new creation to come through. I like that a lot. Sorry, did you say you don't like that? I do. I like this a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, These guys must be a blast at a party, hey? These guys in the freaking (laughs) circle of spore druids. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I did see at some point in the book it said something about them not getting along with druids because of that, which I disagree with because there are the circle of spores, there's the circle of fire, and that's their whole thing is uh, like the circle of uh, fire. It's the burning to create new. Yeah, the wildfire. There's also going to be circle of land swamp Mm -hmm. as well, which would, you know, kind of tie into this in some ways. Yeah, like, and druids are very neutral when it comes to nature, and they understand the life and death working together. So I I disagreed very much with that passage. I can't remember exactly where it was, but... I I like that, um, but I mean, it's looking at the same way that every time that a rogue is mentioned, you're assuming thief or assassin. Anytime a druid Mm -hmm. is mentioned, you assume, you know, tree-hugging hippie, right? Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, they're not all of those? No. No, no, they are I've, not. I have um, never played a tree hugging hippie druid, and I've played quite a few. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I've never seen one in any of my games. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite characters of all time was uh, Terry's evil druid. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an evil black dragonborn druid who was just cowardly, and whoever was strongest in any given moment was the person that he would back. So his allegiances were consistently shifting. You reminded me a lot of Starscream from Transformers. Yeah, oh, that okay, sounds yeah. like a very Terry character. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also like the, the phrase very Terry. I hope very we have Terry. a very Terry Christmas. <laughs> I don't. Oh, well, that like. <laughs> so <Just> here's everybody a... <laughs> crying. 
fun fact about these guys because we mentioned already their wings help them propel them forward both in the sky and while they're swimming they hate water even though they're natural swimmers and they usually live on seashores or brackish marshes they absolutely have a complete disdain for the water uh, coincidentally their favorite food comes from the water as a giant squid but it's good it's okay because this gives them ample opportunity to express their disdain for water as they are dripping wet with the squid in their mouths so it, good on them it, they're, they're just creating a time to i express. loved that about them like yep. that's my favorite fact i've been telling everybody <laughs> i'm wet get it <laughs> off of me <laughs> Now, they're usually at odds with bronze dragons as they compete for territory on the coastlines because bronze dragons also like the coast. I'm curious, though, do you think they also compete with black dragons? Because black dragons like to be in swamps. And these guys also kind of like to be on the edge of swamps where salt and fresh water meet. So I'm wondering, do you think they compete with black dragons at all? I mean, yes, they're going to compete with with just about every dragon that they run across. I mean... Mm -hmm. um i can see them running up against uh well see i don't like i don't like the idea of coast coast to me is is bullshit because uh i live in british columbia where we have a rainforest on on the coast here there are you know deserts that meet coasts there are swamp areas there are fjords there's arctic coasts so the the, the idea of coast is just garbage that's just like where the land ends and the water begins. I wish it was just water-based. Be much clearer. Because yeah. I could I could see them if they're just oh, they're coast? Fine. Do they run into white dragons? Right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> up north. So yes, I can see these guys kind of facing off against just about anybody, but I think that their antisocial natures was gonna keep them from direct conflict. True. Yeah, True. they're not gonna purposefully, I think, look out <laughs> for any other dragon to come yeah. in contact with no it's true uh more uh, i would say any other people in general yeah any other creature because <laughs> <laughs> you did mention earlier perhaps that they also tend to make enemies with not just dragons but with druids we were just talking about that mm -hmm. uh, but i would say anything that likes to protect nature so not just druids in general but just anyone who feels that they are a protector of nature and that's okay because those guys are just ignorant. They don't have the long view of life like a topaz dragon does. Come on, guys. Get your act together. Mm -hmm. And lastly, with these guys, they tend to be solitary creatures and dislike having people around at all. But if you're able to put up with their morbid interests that they have in the entropic observations, then you're going to have a, a long ally and a friend to call upon. So as we talk about these topaz dragons, how do we make one in our campaigns? Well, let's let's talk a little bit uh, about these guys. There's a lot you can do with them. We've already come up with some ideas, but when we're creating a topaz dragon, we want to keep in mind this idea that they don't like people and they love the idea of destruction and decay. And not from a malicious standpoint, but from just a let's clear the landscape and clear kind of a fresh canvas. So make sure to definitely keep that in mind when you're making one. There's a couple of personality traits that you can go from the Fizzband's book. I've taken two out here. It takes true artistry to maintain a warm desert-like dwelling under the water. And the second one I got is I soothe myself to sleep by imagining the perfect insults for bronze dragons 
While I wait to meet one, I hone them on other creatures. So I love that it kind of gives these two kind of give two different aspects of dragons, their dislike for water and their dislike for bronze dragons. Mm-hmm. And everything else. <laughs> and everything else. Kind of gives you a good idea of them. Uh-huh. As for spells that we're going to be looking at with these guys, you have Bane, which is the opposite of Blessing. You have Control Water, which is self-explanatory. Create and Destroy Water, also quite self-explanatory and the last one is anti-life shell which is essentially is the don't touch me bubble i could easily see them like casting this an ancient dragon casting this and being like don't touch me as we go for adventures let's look at some of the adventures that we have in the book it's a d8 table and here's a couple of them a pirate ship is found floating on the open sea the bodies of the crew completely desiccated The only clue of what happened is a single topaz dragon scale on the deck. And the second one I grabbed on there was a topaz dragon is injured and stranded far from the sea, but the dragon is too proud to ask for help getting home. I like that these guys can be used wherever. Sure, they're mostly going to be used around the sea and the coast, where the water meets the land, just for you, Adam, but they can be used anywhere. And wherever they are is going to change the dynamic of who they are. Yeah, you could almost put those two together and like be different clues in the same adventure. Oh, it's so true. As for the layers, let's talk about them a little bit. Because we've already discussed how coastline is kind of a generic term, which should be used where the water meets the land. And that's where these guys like to be. Either that or where fresh water meets salt water. They just love to see it consistently going against each other so watch is why they like to kind of be in these brackish marshes but on that note they also love to bask in the sun beside the water even though they despise getting wet other than a bit of sea spray in the air oh i got some water on me dry it off dry it off quick but they love watching the water a lot more than being in it but because of their constant kind of bickering with bronze dragons and other things competing for the same land They change at least more frequently than other dragons. When some dragons find a place, they stay there for, well, an eon, so to speak. Whereas these dragons do change a little bit more because they don't want to compete. And also, they just want better views. They want to have a better view of the sun wherever they are at. So their lairs don't look as finished as some of the other dragons' lairs. But I can tell you this about these guys. Topaz dragons are interior decorators i am 100 sure of this because they use mirrors they use many different shades of fabric gold and yellow and other objects that kind of go well with the spines to decorate their digs and they do it in such a way to create bring in more light and i can easily imagine these guys putting a tapestry on one side. Oh, no, I can't go there. It needs to go on the right-hand side, a bit on the upper side, and then the other wall. We're going to put it on the left-hand side. We're going to create this. And those mirrors, make sure they're in the exact position to get their interior decorators. These guys have my heart right there. They are interior decorators. I love these guys. For this I, I wonder... So they're all about, you know, decay and desiccation and whatnot, right? And destruction over time but i'm wondering do they have a special love like is their hoard special to them because it is items that do not deteriorate over their lifespan 
it could be like the things that it holds most dear i mean you said tapestries the tapestries will eventually rot especially if you're in like coastal regions and there's water and salt water and like that, that kind of uh moist air and whatnot but like oh I'm but their layers are dry yes their their layers are dry but like I feel like if you're bringing in the tapestry from the outside world and whatnot, right? It's going to be like I, that's why I really like the idea of mirrors and and gems and and crystals and gold and like sculptures maybe because stone doesn't deteriorate as quickly as you know how some dragons will collect pets or minions or you know they like uh, growth and greenery and these guys I bet like there's not a potted plant to be seen. Uh, if it is, it's made a. It's a statue. Yeah, it's. <laughs> they have plastic plants everywhere. Those will last forever. <laughs> then they don't have to water them too, so they don't have to worry about getting wet. I I really want to explore the idea of how these things interact with either themselves or if there's another person in there, what kind of attitude they have. Like I would, I would, I would laugh hysterically if one of these guys he had the mirrors everywhere. They love looking at themselves and how the lights play, and then suddenly he says, "Does this make my haunch look big?" <laughs> the correct answer is yes. If you say no, it's big trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but speaking of the hordes, Adam, you love—they love to organize their hordes to the point where it's obsessive. I actually don't think they have too much tapestries in their hordes for the reason that you said, that they do decay. So it's more so in the whole decorating area that they have, but not the horde in and of itself. It's just the main hall has all these these tapestries and everything in there. And I think that, yeah, it's just going to be more so just things that don't fade away with time in their hordes. But as I did read, they do sometimes include undead in their horde. And I thought that yes. was a fun. Yes, they do. And we're going to get to that in a, in a tiny bit there of why that's the case. But let's let's talk about what the, their lair kind of looks like. At least some places we'll find. Because they have an entry tunnel or a couple entry tunnels. Either on a beach side or on a cliff side. They have their horde chamber. And then they have their decorated caverns. This is where they would have all those tapestries they would have the mirrors would be everywhere including the horde room but i think this is where you find those tapestries and they even have separated islands again maybe it's just for other places to bask in the sun or who knows campaign ideas but one thing i do love is they will sometimes even use flooded tunnels as their entrance to keep people out even if it means they have to get wet to get inside, they are willing to get wet for a moment to keep people out for long periods. I could, I would imagine that on the other end, it's like a press the digitation or it's a destroy water on themselves. Get it off me. Get it off me. I, I like the idea too that like, well, water's the worst thing ever. Like if this is just completely uncomfortable and it's it's horrifying. And why would anybody want to come this way? This is a great defense because water sucks, right? Yeah. And everyone else is just like, well, like, I, I guess my boots are wet, but like, all right, let's go, right? How, how are you not more bothered? <laughs> I love that. So with the actual mechanics of the layer, what they have, we know what it kind of looks like, the things we might, some things we might find in there, but the actual mechanics of it that can go with the lair we see these with the crystal dragons this one of beguiling whisper and it just means 
that anyone that the dragon can telepathically whisper to wow i didn't even say that right telepathically there we go that's better words words yeah but any person that has this beguiling whisper they need to succeed on a dc 15 wisdom saving throw well so they're going to be charmed on the next uh, count of initiative which is 20 usually and they have to try and obey the command of the dragon to the best of their ability that isn't going to be directly harmful to the creature again we've seen this already this next one though this is the one that just sends shivers down my spine as a dm i'm like oh this is good and that is cancellation the dragon gets to choose an active spell of fifth level or lower that it knows of, that it's aware of, and that's in its lair, and it just ends the spell. This is your counter spell as a lair action. Holy flip. That's powerful. Get any concentration spells. This is a... Uh... This has real Rakshasa vibes to it, and and I love it. This is also going to drive your your players up the wall. Keep in mind, this is only for adult and ancient dragons because it's That's their true. actions. But like, so you're you're at least CR thirteen, which means they're coming in with some big powerful spells, thinking now we can finally do this, and it just gets you know canceled out. Yeah, That's what note. I loved. <laughs> and then it wastes that spell slot, like for that player, it just. Spell slot gone. Fifth and, level. And it gone. doesn't waste any spell slot for the dragon. Right. Mm-hmm. I just want to see the faces of the first time it happens. And you don't tell them. You just tell them that for some reason it's just not working. It's oh. Or they come in and they have, even if they're just walking in and they have a light, the, the cantrip light cast. And all of a sudden it goes out. What happened? And then the last thing they have for the layer actions is this one called negative energy infusion and any two creatures that the dragon can see and that's in their lair need to succeed on a dc 15 con save or they're going to take 46 necrotic damage if they fail what happens is this negative energy from let's say the negative plane kind of infuses the, the this whole place and while it's there a creature can't regain hit points Imagine that you're DC 13, you get hit by something, get the cleric, cast heal, do let do get the paladin with lay on hands, anything. It's not working. Can't heal. That's a little scary. And again, uses another spell slot that they can't get back. Exactly. Exactly. So we've talked about the lair itself. Let's talk a little bit about the regional effects that we see here. They have crystal profusions which we've seen uh, with the crystal dragon as well. But these ones, as they grow, they're grow more underground. So it's very interesting. It's If you're kind of even underground in a tunnel nearby, you'll see these crystals kind of growing, both stalagmites, stalactites, whatever you want to call, whichever one. And you'll see them more and more often the closer you get. There's also this negative energy. And what happens is when you're finishing a long rest and you're within six miles of the lair, you have to make a DC 15 con save. And if you fail, you don't get rid of exhaustion levels or you don't recover hit dice. This is if you're within six miles of this thing. Even if you don't know it's there and you suddenly go to sleep and you have a level exhaustion, you wake up. No, it's still there. You still have disadvantage and all skill checks. The thing that's particularly gnarly about this too is that even if you kill the Topaz Dragon, it takes 1d10 days for the regional effects to go away. So let's say you get in a big battle and you guys defeat it and 
and all of the players say, okay, that was great. Look, let's hole up in its layer and get in a long rest while we, and then go through its, its horde and everything else. They may not be able to recover fully even after the fact, right? So um, mm-hmm. whatever minions or allies or anything else that it has that might be around um, are still a like significant threat. Exactly. So and it's they'd a... have to go a good six miles to be good able luck to if you're that, that tired. Rest. Yeah. Now I wonder: Is that affecting if they take a long rest? Are they still able to recover hit points? It doesn't say they don't recover hit points. No, it's hit dice specifically, right? Because exactly you, you would, in theory, have used a short rest or two on the way to the uh, the dragon's lair. Yeah. So um, you would have burned some hit dice. It is going to let you recover, but your next short rest is not going to be as useful as you might hope it will. Exactly. So I love that after effect. It's not the effect of, okay, we need to take a long rest after this one. Sure, you do. And then you head out. And the next thing that comes up and you need to take a short rest. Oh, you don't, you're not regaining as much as you thought because you don't have those hit dice. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking up right now um, how far it like you can actually get in six hours according to the rules as written. So I'm going to, we're going to circle back to this. I'm going to interrupt you in a minute because it's going to take me a sec to find this. Of course, that's fine. Uh, the last, and they also have thriving wildlife. And guess what they like to attract in their lairs? Giant squid, which is an abundant food source and not the best thing for players. That's something to think about. It's, oh, sure, yes, yeah, the food source, yeah. What if you're nearby and you're near the water? Guess what's going to happen to you if you get too close to one of these giant squids? That's not a random encounter. That was very on purpose. Okay, so here's here's what I've got. Um the, your distance uh, travel. Now, I mean, this is assuming that you're not on a ship coming in from the coast, right? But like that you're walking. Um, so it has your, your normal speed is uh, 24 miles per day, which means that, you know, you're moving for eight hours at a time. Um, you don't actually travel for the full 24. So that means that you're doing six miles in two hours. You're essentially moving three miles an hour, right? Which means for two hours worth of random encounters, um, you are going to be under the effect of this this regional effect. Um, however, if it's thick underbrush and you're moving like it's difficult terrain, that's at half speed. If you want to be stealthy, you can only move 18 miles, which means that's going to be you know two miles an hour. Um, if uh, if you're moving quickly to get through this, then you're taking a negative five penalty to your wisdom score, and you are still having to walk uh, uh, an hour and a half under these rules like that this is going to be a significant issue for people it is honestly it is i really like the idea of the exhaustion even more so than just the hit dice that if they take a long rest expecting to be rid of their exhaustion oh no it's still there and they have and they have to find some place to sleep to get rid of that exhaustion oh no you can't do it here it's i find that even more scary for a player yeah mm-hmm. and the last thing they have yes there's more is something called watery sight. Essentially, it's just they can use clairvoyance from any body of water within six miles of of the lair. And again, this is part of their abilities. It is not a spell that they have to cast. They don't use up any spell slots. This is a part of their lair, or the regional effects, I should say. Mm-hmm. As for the treasures that these guys have, they we talked a little bit about it already. They love gold, and they love anything that kind of goes with their scales except bronze they detest bronze you'll never guess why but they also love nautical themed items so you could imagine 
having uh, a gold sextant in there. Or they love sun-themed items, anything that reflects the sun. And mirrors of all sorts all throughout it. This is a light source. They have natural light coming in, bouncing off these mirrors, and it's just lights up the whole cabin. I think, was it in um, was it in The Mummy, I think? When they entered into the cabin and they adjusted a mirror and then the whole place lit up? It's Indiana Jones. I is think it Indiana did, Jones? They did that in The Mummy too, but they definitely did that in, in one of the Indiana Jones. Yeah, I was, I was one of the two, but it's that same idea that they love using mirrors to light up everything mm-hmm. which i think is a really cool light source so to speak but they love playing with the light in their layers and the different kinds of the the shining the shine that the light brings off of whatever surfaces that it's on and they love experimenting again they are a little they are a little enthusiastic i want to say in their in their hordes about what they can do and they are a little od just like i know that seems to be exactly right it needs to be right there that's no oh. that's right oh you mean they're they're ocd about it yep completely <laughs> thank you my brain had a brain fart <laughs> yeah um i i have an interesting thought so they love nautical themed items and on the coast they don't like getting wet that annoys me right that the fact that they're not this doesn't line up as as cleanly as as some of the other dragon environments are right you know like oh yeah they can have like golden sextants and they can have you know special spy glasses and maybe even a, a famous ship because you guys have a swim speed right um they don't breathe underwater but they can they're fast they can get down and like lift up nearby shipwrecks and pull them back to their their areas and i just I wonder if the reason they that actually they... are amphibious, they can breathe underwater. Can they? Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know why I thought they couldn't, but uh, so I like the idea of them um, rescuing these bits and pieces, these treasures from underwater. And I'm wondering, maybe they like the coast because of the way that the water and the waves corrode the land away. It very well could be, mm-hmm. or even the idea of, how the sun shines off the water it's yeah because the water being a big mirror for the sun yeah yeah that that's a good point i mean some of the worst sunburns i've ever had were when i was on the water mm-hmm. um but uh no i like i really like the idea of them like they're big picture right all gem dragons are fairly big picture as well mm-hmm. so the idea of of the world in the end everything dies i mean jesus that's bleak fuck that reminds me of fucking high school poetry but you have to think of the other side of it too they clear it away for the purpose of new creation which you could imagine for a uh, a topaz dragon if it is just basking on the seashore waiting for the sunrise and when it sees the sunrise to them it's like a new creation do you think that they don't like getting wet like you know there's a difference between being submerged in a pool and then standing on the edge of the pool when you're like shivering and cold like, do you think they don't mind being underwater, but the moment they, like, burst free and they're dripping, like, ah, ah, towel, towel, fuck, yes. towel. Yeah. That's my kids. You know, I like the, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to like it, you know? <laughs> like, you could be good at so many things that you fucking hate. <laughs> and I I'm, feel like that's that's a big personality, you know, trait of theirs is, like, just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I like it, but mm-hmm. I'll do it if I have to. <laughs> But I'm gonna complain. I make macaroni for my kids. I'm good at it, but it doesn't mean I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
I make I make very good pickles. I cannot fucking stand pickles. Like can't oh, stand them. Thank you, Pat. but thank you. I make amazing pickles, so I've been told. <laughs> Won't eat them. <laughs> you got a you got a weird palate, Peps. You don't like mustard. <laughs> you don't like pickles, and I don't know what to do with you. I don't is like just, vinegary things. Is it just ketchup on your hot dogs then? Um, we in Ohio put a uh, chili sauce on our hot dogs. It's chili cheese dogs so chili with no beans um cheese onions most people put mustard but i do not yeah no i'm all over like chili cheese dogs are great why no beans that's just the chili sauce on, on hot dogs here there's no beans in it it's just meat and, so, and, and sauce and flavor <laughs> i feel like you live <laughs> in like it, it, it like oz right it's, it's Alice in wonderland down there where everything is familiar but it's not quite right uh-huh yeah we also put that on um spaghetti noodles yes i do that too mm-hmm. coming back to it <laughs> as much as they love all these doing all these things as ocd as they are about their horde they will never show it to anyone else so they get it picture perfect the most amazing and beautiful thing that they could ever do and they will never show anyone else. Even if you're friends with them, even if you have made an ally of them, they are very unlikely to ever show you it. Mm, do you think that's because of all of the damn mirrors and they're antisocial? So when you walk into the room full of mirrors, there's now a thousand of you and that would drive up the fucking wall. It might. Possible. Yeah. It could also be that don't touch that. Don't touch that with that. No, I, I, I spent a hundred years finding the exact location for that no you don't touch it between the rogue stealing it and the bard humping it and the barbarian knocking it over like there's no there's no good way like uh, only the wizard and monk are allowed in here and hands in your pockets yes and you are only at the doorway you're only looking in you're not going in monks might even be tricky because they could try to run up it and (laughs) then you got footprints way up on the ceiling you gotta deal with (laughs) can you imagine the druid just like tracking in mud (laughs) no no even worse tracking in water just puddles of water just dripping but they do have other treasures outside of material things really quickly here because they also treasure information regarding anything about destruction and creation. So keep in mind, they're not all about just decay. They also love creation. A particular interest, though, of theirs is anything that manipulates things outside of the ordinary when it comes to these ideas of destruction and creation. For example, making something from nothing or raising an undead. This to them is just, is this is this new life? Is, is that what this is? Uh, this is interesting, curious. And anything that's using powers from the negative planes, they're just curious. They don't celebrate the undead and worship it. No, by no means. But they are very curious to the point where they will sometimes keep undead in their hordes, as you said. I would imagine it had to be pretty rare creatures because they know of undead. But it's the idea of what if it's a rare creature that's an undead? They might keep that in there. Who could who knows? It could also be the, the guard dog, so to speak. Yeah, I could see these ones like especially trying to go Draco Lich, you know, like becoming that. Or even just like trying to get a Draco Lich in there. Well, I think, like, like I, I think how they, do I build a room to keep this thing? <laughs> I think the difference, I think they're going to go Shadow Dragon because Dracoliches are all about the, um, the, uh, like immortal power, uh, that wizards and liches want, right? But a Shadow mm-hmm. Dragon is 
literally infused with negative energy. It's one of the only other places that we see this kind of like real reliance on um, on the negative plane when it comes to dragons. So like, I feel like that one makes a lot of sense. And they would go off to the Shadowfell because people are muted and standoffish. And like, I, I think that that's a really good fit. Um, I think what it would be is they'd become a shadow dragon and keep a Dracolich in their horde. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just going to piss off the Dracolich. So... <laughs> Even better. So yeah, do that. Do that. It likes to piss off other dragons. True, it does. Especially if it's a brown Dracolich. <laughs> yes. So let's roll some dice, guys. And I got a few questions for you uh, regarding these guys. So let's roll some dice. Nineteen. Also nineteen. I got oh. a fourteen. I'm going last. It's bullshit. Perhaps let's roll off. Ten. Eleven. Jeez. <laughs> well, Peps, the Dragon Queen, I have a question for you. Okay. Before we jump into these mechanics, how do you feel about the lore surrounding these dragons? I really enjoyed the lore of these dragons. I like they're very unique feeling. Um I do I found a lot of joy in the they're very good at swimming but hate being wet. Um aspect to them because you don't see that like there's so many that just like yeah that all tracks that all makes sense but they have this like weird quirk that I really enjoyed seeing because that's life and that's people and just like I said just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to enjoy it you know no that's true absolutely I agree I when I I love the lore of these dragons in the sense that it leaves room for the dm to really play with it it leaves room for them to build this dragon how they want it to be whether they want to focus on the decay aspect of it or just the aspect of i don't like people get away from me so it leaves that room i love that with this lore i like the lore of this well enough um honestly i'm going to use about 15 other dragons before i get around to the topaz it's not it's not that this is bad it's that hermits are you know a dime a dozen like especially in D&D you got to go off and find the go quest to to find the person that doesn't want to be found right and that's fairly consistent as a plot hook and uh yeah I would use a topaz dragon to mix it up every once in a while um but I can't really come up with a solid reason to go fight this guy at high levels again this is this doesn't feel like a combat dragon to me. No, you have to have the right setting for it. You have to have the purpose of it. It's not just it randomly appears. You need to have a reason for it. Yeah, it, it was the same with the crystal dragon, right? Like, I feel like blue dragons and green dragons and gold dragons and brass dragons, like, they're all involved in humanity and they're all dicking about. And, like, you're going to run into these guys over and over and over again. The gem dragons feel two, step, two steps removed. They're more rare and they're more difficult to come across. Um, and, and I don't mean like, yes, there's rarity, but there's they're also oh, steering clear of uh, of big People. civilization and stuff as well. Um, no, it's true. Absolutely. I, you know, it's an interesting stat block. I do quite like the layers. I think it's neat. I'm going to have to really build a section of a campaign to go find a topaz dragon. Right. Whereas I feel like I could slam all of the metallic and dracon or and uh, chromatic, as well as you know drakes and wyverns and hydras. I could slam all that into a campaign. But if I'm doing gem dragons, this is a gem dragon.
campaign. These three levels are topaz dragons. The next three levels are sapphire dragons, right? And like, because there's a lot about them. So, and it's all very specific. A um, lot of room to play in, but very specific as far as their weird attitudes about shit, right? Yeah. I could see it, there being confrontations between dragons. Like you could see a bronze dragon and a topaz dragon going at it from a distance type thing. Yeah. But like, I feel that the easier window into that conflict is through the bronze dragon side. Exactly, topaz dragon yeah. is just over there doing their shit. Yeah. You don't really explore so much as you go in to fight on behalf of the bronze dragon, right? Um, mm -hmm. And again, they don't feel like combatants. So it seems, I don't know, it seems odd. It is a little. What do you guys think of the spells, though? That, did you find that they're a little lacking or did you find it fit? Um, I think my favorite one that they get is the create destroy water because I definitely see them just destroying the water on them to get dry. <laughs> like that's how they're using that spell. Um, I did notice with the crystal dragon, they had spells that they could do at will, and I did not see that here. Oh, it's true. They don't. Yeah, they don't um, have at will spells. Yes. Yeah, so I found that interesting that there was that I got, I, they get like less spells that they can use. Yeah. And when you were mentioning the whole idea of create, destroy water to get the they water off themselves. They can do yeah. it once. <laughs> Just once a day. That's uh -huh. it. But is that also how they're like drying out their layer too? Because it says they meticulously will dry their layer. So I think they're sort of reserving that to make sure their layer is very dry. Like there's a puddle. I got to get rid of it. I think you're right there that that's what their focus is on with that mm -hmm. spell or even just moving the water because mm -hmm. they can shape water. So they're just shaping it away. <laughs> Either that or I could definitely see them as using this to get into their lair. If they have like this flooded tunnel, they're using shape water and doing a whole Moses thing of just splitting the water going through. Okay. <laughs> I didn't get wet. Uh, I do like the anti-life shell spell. It does kind of fit them because anti-life shell allows undead to come in. So they're comfortable around their undead, but not around people. Mm -hmm. Because undead don't talk as much. Yeah, that's true. You're... <laughs> but also I feel like they, they would have to have their own um, like section in their horde for their undead ones or they're just bumping into shit. <laughs> they, you mean like bumping uglies? Like, yeah, like the, no, the undead, they're just like, knocking over their their very meticulously put things so i think they'd have to have a whole separate section of their horde area well okay that brings me to an interesting point though is you everybody you know sees the word undead and they think zombie mm -hmm. but i was like i feel like they're just in their lair is full of ghosts yeah it could very well be yeah they don't right? touch anything the idea of of shadows in the mirrors like the literal shadows um in the mirrors or like specters floating around because there's a there's another alternate uh rule set for specters you can get poltergeists right so they don't even they're invisible and they just interact with the space and as long as the topaz dragon can keep them under control to some degree that would be that'd be neat that'd be interesting to to see um and not every undead is mindless like we always think zombie and skeleton but you get a skull lord or a white or something like that a a, a death knight that cohabitates this space that makes a lot of sense and that's that's really interesting mm -hmm. um it does I, 
But I also find that it contradicts the idea that they don't want to be disrupted. If they're being OCD in in their horde and organizing it consistently, they don't want people talking to them. Yeah, but I think that, okay, so here's where I'm coming from with this. If you've got some sort of sunken, like, uh, I'm thinking uh, on the coast, there was an earthquake, a typhoon, something, and a castle ended up you know, sinking down into the sands and there's a large cavern there. And a death knight is just there brooding angrily, irradiating, um, or sorry, radiating like necrotic energy and just being a negative presence. Topaz Dragon might move into the cavern and never step foot in the castle. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely... It is interesting that they keep them as part of their horde and not just their minions, though. And how do you, like, the horde is supposed to be quantifiable as to how much power they get like we've learned that in past episodes where after they reach this certain value they can move on age-wise like how do you put a value on undead for them um i would look at how much like there are some general rules about when you kill a creature how much loot that it would drop how much experience that you would get Mm -hmm. this is kind of where i would look at what's the cr of this creature and i and i would i would extrapolate the math from there I like anti-life shell as far as the spell goes. Um, it doesn't wow me because they get it so damn late. Uh, yeah, I know. Dragon, CR 20, which means you're not seeing this till the very end of the campaign. And it's a level five spell and it works for 10 foot radius, yeah, right? Yeah. At that point, everybody has enough range that who gives a shit. And even the the party members that don't traditionally rely on ranged weapons will still... Uh, 10 feet is enough to throw an axe, right? Or a knife or whatever. So the anti-life shell is neat. I wish they got it as young dragons. I think that would yeah, be nice. I agree. Um, I found that with a few of them, like like we had mentioned invisibility with the crystal, like it comes too late. <laughs> at this, like it's a really cool spell that they get, but too late. Too late. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like, I'm really going to like, I'm going to lean into boosting the spell casting for this kind of dragon it is worth pointing out that they also do get fabricate the spell right um which is neat again they only cast it once per day i don't know why it's not on the spell list why it's it's a special thing that they can do and i guess that's just because they can all do it can they can the youngs uh, the wormlings can't no i believe it comes in an adult so again like it's coming in late that cr 13 is not too bad but it, it feels like it's coming in late um and it's never going to come up in battle no it's it's purely a flavor thing outside of battle mm-hmm. i think yeah converting raw materials to products of the same material i mean unless what like you have um like a stone floor that the players are walking across and you can fabricate it into being stone shoes like now it's a statue like it's a I don't know. Like, there's going to be some creative ways to go about this, but I can't imagine one of the examples in the spell is you can make clothes from flax or wool once a day. Who gives a fuck for a topaz dragon? Like, it it's neat, but it's a fourth level spell for a reason, and it's weird that they get away to level 13. I don't know. I would like to see more interesting combat level shit. Make them more paranoid, make them more persnickety about shit and not not uh, want people around. Anti-life shell, go 10 feet away from me in my lair 
feels weird, right? Like it should be banishment. That feels better. Yeah. Or it should be that the spell radius of anti-life shell would be, let's say, 150 feet. Yeah, just for them, right? Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. it should be shit like that. Again, Bane, super low powered. By by the time that your CR twenty creature shows up, who who gives a damn? It's a D four, right? Well, like, Bane they get as a wormling. Sure, but it's relatively useless in tiers three and four. Yeah, um, like especially because it can only do it once a day. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I don't like. And uh, control water and create and destroy water. <laughs> All right. I don't care. They're not around water. Uh-huh. Who cares? Right? So I don't know. These spells leave something to be to you know they do lack. Mm-hmm. It is it seems as if it's not for combat whatsoever. It does feel that it is mostly for social or exploration. This feels like someone sat down and looked at what can we do to make uh more unique personalities for dragons besides the basic 10 that we started with. And then what spells will support that? And they're not thinking about gameplay. This was all design decisions. Yeah. Flavor-wise, they make sense. But sure, yeah, they're great for flavor. Yeah. Um, but but again, how are you actually going to use them? Yeah, yeah, who gives a shit, right? Uh-huh. So I think we've talked a little bit about the layers and the regional effects already. Do you guys have anything you want to add to that? Perhaps? Um, I mean, I think there are, there are layers, you know, they they make sense, I guess, with the the way that they meticulously put together their hordes and that, but it's just for them. Um, unlike other dragons, they're not gonna, there's nothing you can do that you're gonna see their horde unless you're like sneaking in and trying to, like they're not gonna show it off. Um, and I like that some some people just, to have their things that's for them and that's okay and they they don't need to show it off um regional effects are usually my favorite with any of them i like the flavor that they add i think it's funny that this one um it's only the giant squid that they're attracting like yeah. other ones it's it's all animals you know in the area flourish and this one it's just the one that i want <laughs> comes here that's and that's so odd to me like yeah <laughs> why it's and why very, specifically this they're it very quirky odd, they have they're just so think. quirky and like weird and i think that's what i like about it is that they're just weird that that's the i would have to agree that's what i i like about it is it doesn't uh-huh. make sense yeah it, it absolutely doesn't it's and it's it's, just, it's, it's self-serving fun. like it's all very self-serving they do not care about anybody else around them i want giant squid so i'm going to attract giant squid yeah, I don't know. I, my, sure, why not? <laughs> I feel that yeah the the layers the the layer just kind of says to people I want to look at me I want to look good but mm-hmm. I'm the only one who wants to know it yeah <laughs> and they I, do I like very that. much care what they look like but they don't care that anybody else cares they just no. they just want to look good for themselves yeah I I do like the though this idea of cancellation i really really like that because at a level 13 when you're facing this or even later you don't see that coming mm-hmm. and and then suddenly they have once they do find out if they do they have to change their complete strategy and to see i'm sorry should i feel bad when i i say that i enjoy seeing my players struggle with that that they have to think outside the box yeah the layer actions 
I look, I agree with you. The layer actions are interesting. In my opinion, the layer actions are the most interesting thing about these dragons. Yeah. Um, because this is this is all the combat, right? All of this is such solid combat. You're gonna split the party with Beguiling Whisper, you're gonna shut down your um your spellcasters, and uh you're gonna take away their ability to heal, right? Um mm-hmm. and th- then it kind of rotates and I don't necessarily tell my players what the layer action is if there's no visual component to it. So, for example, cancellation, suddenly your thing just fails because it doesn't have to be within sight. The Topaz Dragon's aware of the fact that you are casting Pass Without Trace because it has this uh, this uh, clairvoyance that it, um, from the watery sight, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it knows what you guys are doing. It knows you're, you're casting this and you're trying to sneak in. So all of a sudden it just fails. You don't know why it just did, right? Exactly. And um, it's it's more dangerous. It's sneakier. It's it's more fun. Um, as Players as- don't necessarily want to hear the spell they're casting. They want to see what it looks like. Yeah, and and when it comes to the regional effects, like they're good. I I don't I don't like the giant squid thing. It's <laughs> it feels like a bizarre add-on i wonder if there's something in previous editions which you know is this is a holdover from because i can't figure out why else they would do this i do like the watery sight because clairvoyance gives us another spell so their spell list of four is really six at this point um but it's a level three spell at cr 13 and up again i'm not overwhelmed by this that negative energy though or that that the negative what was it called yeah the yeah negative energy where they're unable to reduce the levels of, of exhaustion or regain uh hit dice dc 15 con save though the ones that are getting exhaustion at that level are going to be your barbarian which right? have a wicked con exactly mm-hmm. so um and they're going to be your frontline fighters so I don't think this is as effective as you may think because your back row fighters are not the ones that are suffering from exhaustion or like using a shit ton of hit dice in the first place. So, so again, it's neat. It's cool. I like it when it's stacked with other things, but I don't know. The Topaz Dragon is leaving me a little, it feels lopsided. What do you think their eggs would look like? Um, I think these ones are like the Fabergé eggs. They're very like gold and shiny and intricate and um, perfect. Like they have everything else in there. Like it's almost reflectively shiny. I I go from the aspect of it's going to be part of their hoard. It's mm-hmm. it, it looks like everything in their hoard. It is, as I said, it's shiny. It's beautiful. It is the prize center of their hoard. And what? all the lights kind of are glinting off of it that they have in there. What if it was just one big mirror surface all the way around? Ooh. And that's kind of why they like mirrors and reflections and whatnot, is because that's the first thing that they are aware of when they hatch. Mm-hmm. I like that. So you could go that way, or you could go the necrotic energy way of it also. And it's crumbly and desiccating. And What if you... <laughs> what if it is a mirror, a mirror surface, but as you approach it, every step closer that you get to it, the more the older you look. And then by the time that you touch it, you look like a withered old skeleton. Because of death and decay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean it's just it's just a visual effect, but it's uh, it's one of those defense mechanisms that they just naturally have so that things don't touch their eggs. Yeah, I like that. I like combining the two. Like from a distance, it looks very 
beautiful and the closer you get like the it just looks more gets. creepy yeah i like that well the flavor of these dragons and their layers is an interesting thought for dms to play with i think but what about the dragon stats themselves so as we look at the topaz wormlings you can look at their connections table it's a d6 i just taken a couple out of there one is a mated pair of griffins found a topaz dragon egg and they care for it as if it was their own or a pirate crew keeps a curmudgeonly topaz dragon wormling as a beloved mascot. Doesn't like water, ain't gonna go off the ship. As for its stat block, the size and alignment of this thing, it is a medium dragon. So it's still decent in size, but it's chaotic neutral and the CR2. And it, has, it speaks draconic and has telepathy up to 120 feet. As for the AC, the AC of these things, it is 16, so it's decently high for level 2. A level 2 party having to get past a, a 16 AC, but they average about 33 hit points, so they're not a heaping heavy amount. Now, these things have a 30-foot movement, standard, a 60-foot fly, again, not, not too uncommon, and a 30-foot swim. Keep in mind, these things can swim just as fast as they can walk because of those wings that they have that propel them forward, and that can prove to be a little dangerous. I'm not gonna uh, lie. Also, sixty feet um, for level two is nuts. You for fly? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're quick little buggers. As for the stats themselves, they're all above average, between twelve and fifteen, with the strength, intelligence, charisma being the higher of the ones. The saving throws. You got Dex, Con, Wiz, all at plus three, and Charisma, plus four. Their skills, again, they have relatively high Intimidation Perception, plus six, plus five, and a plus three in Stealth. As for the resistances, again, as you could guess, it's cold and necrotic, so not that. They don't shiver because they're cold, they just don't like the water. But they have blind sight up to 10 feet, dark vision 120 feet. So they can see a fair bit in the dark. And that passive perception of 15, you may not be sneaking up on these guys. As for their attacks, they just have the bite attack. So it just does minimal piercing and necrotic damage. But what's interesting is their breath. This desiccating breath. And it's this yellowish necrotic breath that just exudes out of them. And it's in a 15 foot cone. And it's a DC 11 con save, or they're going to take 66 uh, necrotic damage and also be in a weakened state, meaning that all strength based attacks are half damage and all strength saves are at disadvantage. That's a that can be a heavy hit if you get hit by that thing. Now, mind you, it's only a DC 11 con save, but at level two, your wizard ain't going to get past that. And they can cast Bane once a day. That's what we have for the wormlings here. So, Let's roll initiative, guys, and let's talk about uh, a couple things with these. So grab your dice. I got eight. Four. I got 11. Oh, hey. Mr. Adam, you are first. Yay. So, right, what, my question, question? so my question to you is, what is a quest or an adventure that would involve a Topaz Wormling? Um, honestly, I would have a Topaz Wormling uh, hire the adventurers to escort it from one coast to another. I'm going to sit in my carriage with the um, curtains drawn. Don't look at me. And they may not know it's a topaz wormling. Maybe it has uh, it has someone, or it's uh, it's able to to speak, you know, through the window. Be like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. I need. I I will. I will pay you a ton of money to get me from this place to this place. And yes, I understand it's a skeleton, a skeletal warhorse pulling my carriage. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Now, is this all in draconic? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, they're talking to the 
Dragonborn. Unfortunately, it's a bronze Dragonborn, so you know, fuck. <laughs> so this guy's rude as shit too. So I like it. I like it. I like the idea that it the party comes up and sees this wormling kind of going at it against a bronze dragon wormling and just an epic fight ensuing between the two. And by epic, it's well not really that epic. It's two wormlings. And but they're causing destruction at the nearby village. And it's it's just a little bit of mayhem, not much, but it's enough that the villagers have asked you to step in and just kind of separate the two. And I just want to see what is the how is the party going to handle that? Are they just going to murder them both straight out and incur the wrath of something else? Or are they going to try and do something to keep them away from each other? I like in the personality traits, there is one that says, if my offspring can't care for themselves, I'm not sure they're worthy of my attention. And I think you could really play off of that with a quest or adventure with the wormling as they clearly do not have very caring parents and they have to figure things out on their own. So they might be as shy and standoffish as they are looking for help to prove themselves to their parents. Um, so that might be a good in on how you would get it is, to interact this, with one. Is this the first bad parent dragon that we've had? No. No. I can't remember which ones specifically, but no, there's some pretty bad ones. I would there. imagine black dragons are not yeah, the best parents. Black... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking uh-huh. metallic. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Green dragons are the best parents. Absolutely. <laughs> you know that they're passive aggressive as shit. <laughs> what? Also depends on your definition of good and bad parents because brass dragons are going to be very helicopter parents, I feel like. So it's all perspective. (laughs) It's all in the eye of the beholder. Uh I I have to say that the best part of this episode for me so far is that we managed to get Peps to say brass dragon again. (laughs) And that's always my favorite part of every dragon episode. Excellent. How would you guys role play? these uh these topaz wormlings what would the attitudes be um i think that it would be uh, an immature level of um standoffishness uh you ever seen a kid on a playground like under the age of eight just like stomping the feet don't look at me i don't want to talk to anybody crossing their arms and just like huffing mm-hmm. you understand adam i have three kids all under the age of under the age of eight there you go so yes. So yes, it it's very much children throwing little tantrums, but it's, it's not. It's your kid I, that's missed nap time. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's not. It's not. I'm going to destroy things. It's not. I'm going to make you pay. It's. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to go up to my room and pout, and I'm going to just be sullen. Um, you're not running into these guys in a layer. They don't have layers yet. They may be building it, but it's not a a true layer with a true horde. So like it's. It's fun. It's 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 interesting to them, but it's not a sanctuary yet. So I think that they're going to feel exposed and out in the open. Maybe there's some anxiety to these guys as well, um, especially because they don't have it set up where they can avoid being wet all of the time. Wormlings still have to deal with rain, right? And you, you can't imagine that's a good time. Yeah. No. So. Um, again, if I'm going to have them interacting with the party, they're going to need things from the party and it's going to be begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. I would take these topaz dragons and I would make them be the proud, I don't need help kind of tweenagers, preteens. No, what do you mean? No, I don't want your help. I can do it. They're the independent, I don't want help preteens. 
because wormlings are not always like babies and children they can be like that that kind of age too but that's how i envision these particular guys because they don't want to be around people they don't want to ask for help they can i can do it myself no and they obviously can't that's that's kind of how i would role play these guys see i have I have two kids. One will talk to you forever. One will not talk to you. I have friends that she has known her whole life. She's 10. She will not say a word to them. Um, And that's sort of like in my head, how I would do it. Like you have to be special. You have to have something that they really want for them to even say a word, like to bless you with a word, you know? And once like, if you, if you earn that, it's huge. Um, if you've ever earned the like communication with a very, very shy child, like that's huge. They chose you for that, but that that's sort of where I would go with it. Um, having, having a kid like that myself, that you have to really put in the work to even get a word out of them. Oh yeah. So really quickly, guys, what are some clues that, uh, might cause a party to be attentive that there might be one of these things nearby? What are some clues that would be? Um, you're going to see a lot of dead plants. I, I think that it's using its breath weapon, um, on small creatures and whatnot. Did we get into what the diet of these things are at all? Giant squid. Yeah, just giant squid is all. Sure. I mean, like a, <laughs> like a wormling, right? Like the, they're not eating giant squids, mm-hmm. right? Is that why there's a bunch of, well, there we go. So that's, that's why they have giant squids like that, that are plentiful around because they're just going to eat them. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, so they love calamari. Yeah um yeah i don't know i think that uh do you think that that mind flayers are a delicacy i think the mind flayer head is a delicacy Mm -hmm. um just anything with tentacles yeah i don't know the for it's it's evidence of the breath weapon for these guys there's not a whole bunch they're gonna hide you're not really gonna know one is around because they don't want you to to know right Mm -hmm. i would agree with that that you're gonna see effects of the breath weapon sporadically it's like it's testing on certain patches of ground yeah it's not the whole the whole plane is covered in this no it's just like little patches here and there you see one plant that's vibrant and then right beside it this blackened stain mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of new growth coming out of it but yeah i would agree it would be just the breath weapon and the little hints of that yeah. so what are the combat tactics for these guys well, with all Topaz dragons, the very first thing to remember is that these are going to be long, drawn-out, frustrating combats. Because they've got a decent AC, they've got a small amount of hit points, comparatively, at least for the Wormling level. But remember, things are going to be doing half damage. Players will be doing half damage. And it's going to be it's going to be the melee characters that are that are going to be up front and center getting blasted with this breath weapon right that are going to have to um get into these fights your your magic missiles are are all well and good your fire bolts are fine but like you're relying on great axes and and long swords and stuff and these are going to be doing what an average of five divided by two round down like this is going to be long drawn out especially with a huge movement speed. Yeah. Right? I, like, yeah. I, I don't think that you're going to fight to the death with these guys. They're going to make it so that they weaken you enough, and then they're going to fly away. And I don't see them ever going for the kill, because who cares? They're big picture, right? You will die eventually anyway. That's exactly what I was thinking, is they're not there to kill. 
they will do whatever they can to stop you and then get out of there as soon as they can. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, I definitely agree. They would just sort of hit and run. You know, they would make you like shoot their breath weapon and then get out because they do have they are very quick in three different ways so they have a lot of exit opportunities so i don't think they're sticking around it's just like a one shot and out no yeah all right so while these guys don't necessarily seem like your typical ray of sunshine and are certainly a handful i'm not sure why any parent would even want them but let's see if they get any better in their dragon young adult years what can you tell us, Paps? All right. So for the young, um, for the connect, the creature connection table, um, I picked out a clan of winged kobolds considered a young topaz dragon their monarch, despite the dragon's complete lack of interest and growing annoyance towards them. This is sort of the first instance we have of any sort of minions, I guess, um, because they are very withdrawn. So I liked the idea of them having minions and not wanting them. <laughs> but they're sort of stuck. Um, getting into their stats, they go up to a large creature. Um, they are still chaotic neutral. Their CR is now a seven and they now can speak common. Uh, their AC goes up by one to 17. Their hit points do increase by nearly a hundred. Uh, their walking and swimming go up by 10 and flying goes up by 20. All of their stats go up by two, except for dexterity, which stays the same. Uh, Constitution, Wisdom, Charisma saves go up by two, Dex goes up by one, and their skills, Intimidation and Perception go up by three, and Stealth goes up by one. The resistances stay the same. Uh, blind Sight goes up to 20 feet, and now they do get a multi-attack with one bite and two claws, and this is where we see the addition of a claw attack. So that is a plus six to hit a 1d6 plus 3 slashing. The bite is now a plus 6 to hit, and the damage increases to 2d10 plus 3 piercing and 1d6 necrotic. Um, their breath weapon doubles in size. The DC is now 13, and they do 8d6 on a fail, and everything else about it stays the same. Ooh, these guys are certainly a bit heavier hitters. So same questions as last time, guys. Let's let's roll a dice, and let's let's first start off with what we might see these guys for a quest or an adventure, how they might be involved. I got a 6. I got a 13. I got a 9. Oh, oh, that means I'm first. Yeah. Okay, so Tyler, let me ask you a question. Oh, wait, Tyler. Same type of thing. For adventure on this sky, I see them more of an exploratory, a little bit. They don't want to be around people, but they're exploring kind of up and down the coast where the water meets the land, trying to find their own place. And essentially, they're asking the party very reluctantly to help them clear out a space for them, whether it's a place that has an encampment of kobolds or an or an orc encampment. That would be a perfect place for me to set up right there. I need you guys to go take care of them. And that's kind of what I see. It, how do you treat that as a party? Mm -hmm. I would lean into the um, connection that I had mentioned. Like they have this group of kobolds and they don't want them. So they need somebody to take care of them um, because there's too many of them and they just are overwhelmed with it and want to wash their hands of it. So please come take care of these kobolds. I don't want them. Um, I am going to say that uh, well, they're going to want to clear out some sort of coastal creature. Um, they're thinking about building a lair. They're trying to get their own home, and it's not going to have lair effects or anything yet. 
but they're looking to set down roots. The problem is there are merfolk in the water just outside. And fuck, can you please relocate them either north, south, or into the afterlife? I don't care how. Too loud. Too much partying. It's too much. They're how would you get all over? <laughs> they keep stealing my dingle hoppers. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Splashing water all over my entrance. How would you guys role play these? I suppose I'm answering first. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys ever come across when a someone who's in the 20s says, I remember when? And then you suddenly like, no, you don't get the permission to say that yet. You don't get to say, I remember when. You have to wait at least another 10 years. And I feel like that's these young adult dragons are the, and I remember when, you know, I, I'm wise enough. And I'm like, no, you're not. My kids say that. They're like, back when I was a kid. And I'm like, you're 10. <laughs> exactly. I envision these young adult dragons as that. They are the people who think they know everything. I feel like you just don't like teenagers. Oh, I love teenagers. <laughs> well, well, that right there is the quote we're going to take out of context. <laughs> let's let's uh, yeah <laughs> but um, i, I would think, be taking them as that yeah yeah i think i would role play these ones more like how you said you would do the wormlings where they just like think that they know everything um and like don't need help i can do this i don't need anybody around sort of situation i look at it like i think about teenagers where the okay so in our lifespans, the most, um, at least from a human perspective, uh, the most social part of our lives is as teenagers. Even if we were not necessarily the most outgoing extroverts, our friends and our bonds to our friends matter more when we're teenagers than they do really any other time of our lives. Um, so I think that this is when they are going to be the most outgoing, which is to say they may talk to three people. So it's not going to be like a massive... Um, like major interaction, but this is as close as they come to being friends with the party. Um, but this is also when they have their first crisis. And that crisis is, oh yeah, right. Everybody else is younger than me and they will all die uh, before I do. And fine, fuck it. I'm going to go shop at Hot Topic, right? Like it's, it, it. they've had enough of the, uh, of they only need to lose a friend once and then fuck it, I don't want any friends ever again anymore. I was right to be standoffers in the first place, right? That overreaction that teenagers have. So like, um, if you're a teenager listening to this episode, Tyler hates you and and I'm apparently being very negative about you. Um, <laughs> this but, is where they get into their goth stage. Yeah, right? Yeah, where they yeah just, exactly. These yeah. are goth. <laughs> yeah, they, they've pushed back because they're, they tried to, to get involved with people, um, but it always just ends in heartbreak and bullshit. And it's... It's no good. This is what they have so many mirrors because they're just applying a lot of eyeliner. <laughs> this is where they really start to embrace the cherry. Yeah. Yeah. I like, honestly, goth girl stage. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, honestly, I would have them have a, a companion at this point. And then independent of whatever the party tries to do, that companion will die. That is a, that is going to happen somehow. And there's no way for them to actually take care of it. And maybe if they save the companion over and over and over again, that companion will eventually just have a heart attack in the middle of the night and keel over dead, right? And the young dragon, keeping in mind, this is up to 100. They could have been friends for 60 years. Then the human is elderly now, right? And then just dies. And the 
Topaz Dragon's like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm done. Never again. You have broken my heart. I'm better off alone. I like I that. I read a shit ton of Edgar Allan Poe. It really does get them to experience the idea of loss and why they want to have that solitude. Yeah. Like, so what are some exploration aspects of this? How would you know that these guys are around? I think one of the things that you will find is I envision you'd see if they are around, you might see some glimmering shimmering from their scales. If the sun is hitting off them, like they might be hiding somewhere, but you might get like a glint in your eye or something. Like, where's that coming from? And you might just catch the glint of a scale of them as they're flying by or as they're running by and you just don't see them because yeah, they still don't like that. people. Yeah, but they do have like areas in their their layer that would be higher up where they can like bask in the sunlight. So you might get that. Exactly. And they're like looking that, yeah. for they're looking for a place. They don't have a layer yet, but they still like to bathe in the sun wherever mm-hmm. they're at. Um, yeah, that I mean, in combination with the you would still see things sort of withering away. Um, you would see more new growth, I think, in those things that are withering away. Um, as that is is sort of their thing. They don't wither just to wither, um, but they wither to regrow or let that regrow. Um, so I would I would play around with that. You would see a lot of new growth, I think, and remnants of things that had withered. A tree sapling. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever seen one of those time-lapse videos of like the fish or whatever that dies and then all the crabs and the sea snails and everything else like get on top of it and just reduce it to nothing? in like incredible rapid time like mm-hmm. i'm thinking maybe this is one of the reasons that they also appreciate the water and and why they have a swim speed and they're amphibious and whatnot is because i mean when the ocean takes you it does not leave evidence so my thought is maybe the water of a town nearby is becoming um spoiled because they keep dropping every corpse they can find into the water so that it can add to this cycle of of regrowth again. Um, and to the point where it will like uproot old trees, like your time is done. And so there's also like suddenly the water gets foul and it slows to a trickle because they've inadvertently built a dam because the water will make the trees rot faster. So we're just dropping trees now into a river that a town used to rely on. You're going to see massive deadfall areas as well um, as they clean the area out. And they have no use for for dead things. Like, it's interesting to them, but it's part of the cycle. It's not undead. It's, this is just dead stuff. Let's break this shit down even faster if we can. And the best way to do that is is water, right? Is the corrosion, right? Um, if, so, you take it, if you take out a town while doing it, well, guess what? You're helping that one get rid of that town as well. Yeah, that town will move. Whatever. Mm-hmm. A new one will grow eventually. What about tactics for these guys? If you engage in combat with these guys, what are the tactics you're using? I think for myself, I want to embrace this idea of their wings. I, the idea that it propuls, it, it's like a propulsion system for them. So if they're on the coast or on a beach side, if they're on a coast, I would envision them knocking you off the cliff. They're not so much geared towards biting and clawing you but more so they're going to use their breath on you take your strength away and then knock you off a cliff into the water and if they're on the beach side again they're going to use that breath so you have half your strength if it succeeds and then they're going to take you into the water because they're smart enough they may hate the water but at that point they might hate you more 
And so they're going to take you into the water and how fast they can swim is way faster than you can. Even if they're dragging you down and if they're half their swimming speed, it's still more than what you can do. So it's going to take you underwater and use its wings to propulse itself downwards and you're going to be in a heap of trouble. Yeah, I like that. I don't I don't know that I'd add anything. <laughs> I think yeah, definitely use the water to your advantage here because um, not a lot of your party members will have a swim speed. Um, you might have a couple, but I think for a lot of them won't. And that's you're on the coast or where the water meets the land. <laughs> so I think, and they are smart enough to use, um, you know, the waters to protect getting into their, their layer, as we said. So I think they would be smart enough to know, to use it to their advantage here and just be angry about it later. Like that's one, they're very upset when they're done. Like, oh, you made me get wet just to defeat you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're going to sulk about it later, but it's like, get the water off me, get it off to. me. They don't care. They just killed someone. It's get the water off. me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm going to lean into the teenager shit again. Um, and uh, they're, they're not going to fight. They're going to slam the door in your face you're going to you're going to catch them out on their outcropping bathing in the sun and they're just gonna be like no i'm not dealing with you and they're gonna you know fly into their entry tunnel into their lair and uh and as you start to follow they just knock a boulder down slam that's it now there's no way into the tunnel so is this the the layer that they are currently making because they don't have a layer yet per se they don't have layer actions which means they don't they're not an adult yet which means they don't have a big enough horde but they do have a home Yes. So, I believe at Young they might have a couple of homes. Yeah, but th- these are not going to be massive, expansive, mm-hmm. you know, labyrinths. Like it, it's going to be, it's going to be a couple of chambers um, with small hordes in the corner, right? Perfect. Just wanted but, to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. So they're just gonna they're gonna slam a boulder down uh, again, non-combatants. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to fight, it's going to be long and frustrating. And uh, and you will probably not get a kill because they will fly away. Okay. Yeah. So we definitely see that these are teenagers, the yep. dragons, and they haven't grown too much since they were wormlings, apparently. They're still just as, well, they don't like people still. But what about adult dragons, Paps? What can you tell us about them? All right. So looking at adults, um, starting with their creature connection, I have an adult topaz dragon and an adult bronze dragon are finding their centuries-old enmity. Uh, turning into a more romantic passion, um, which uh, this is where you get into like fanfic for dragons, <laughs> like enemies to lovers sort of thing, um, which I, I, they haven't talked about any sort of romance up until like this point. Um, and it's all been very like standoffish, but they do have babies, so they got to have a romance somewhere. So I liked that, that sort of idea. Um, looking at stats, they are now huge. Uh, obviously still chaotic neutral their cr is a 13 and their languages stay the same uh ac goes up one more again to 18 their hp gets another big bump from 127 to 210 so almost another 100 their speeds all stay the same Uh, most stats go up by two except for con which gets a big bump up by four and dexterity stays the same Wisdom and Charisma saves go up by three, Khan goes up by four, and their deck save goes up by two. Their resistances stay the same. Uh, Blindsight now doubles to 60 feet, 
And this is where we get our legendary actions and the fabricate that we had mentioned before. Uh, fabricate is a spell they can use once per day and they can cast with no spell components and using intelligence. There are, they get legendary resistances, three a day, where they can succeed on a failed save should they choose. And their legendary actions is using one claw um, attack. For two points, they can use psionic or psychic step, sorry, uh, teleporting 60 feet in an unoccupied space. And for three points, they can use essential reduction, which targets a creature or object not being worn. And it, it can see within 60 feet. The target has to make a DC 17 con save or takes 8D6 necrotic damage. If the target hits zero HP, it crumbles into dust, which is, that's instant death. So that is a huge. I love it. I yeah. love it. Give me more instant death mechanics. Yeah. So that, that was a huge one um, for, for this stage. They can also shape change and use psychic step as a bonus action. Um, their multi attacks stay the same. Their bite is now a plus nine to hit and two D10 plus four piercing and one D6 necrotic. Their claw is a plus nine to hit and one D8 plus four slashing. And their breath weapon doubles again in range and the damage goes to 10 D6 necrotic if failed on a DC 17 con save. Okay, so it's a bit of a major jump with these guys. Yes. So how would you guys use this in a quest or adventure? Like what would involve these guys? Let's roll for it. At 12. I got a 14. I got a five. Uh, for a quest or an adventure um, for an adult dragon, um, it is, uh, look, this guy's a problem. He's, he's been a problem for a little while um, and the quest is not, um, anything besides go kill this thing. I want to get into these layer actions. I want to get into the regional effects. This is not my be-all, end-all dragon, in, even in a dragon campaign, right? I'm never using a topaz dragon as my big, bad, evil guy. This is a milestone to hit. So CR 13 feels right. I'm probably not going to fight these guys at Ancient. I'm going to fight them at Adult. Because by Ancient, I'm fighting Amethysts and Sapphires, Reds and Blues, you know, Silvers and Golds, right? Um, that's kind of just the unspoken hierarchy that everyone's kind of aware of when it comes to dragons and, and dragon campaigns. So, um, yeah, so let's get into their lair. Let's fight. Psychic Step is uh, nasty. Change Shape is uh, fun and kind of fucky. Um, but, uh, but mostly I want to get into these, these legendary actions and layer actions. And I want to flex these muscles. I agree. I would want to do the same thing. However, I would want to do it on behalf of a bronze dragon because he likes his lair. Or, or the, the circle of the land coastal druid who just loves these giant squids so much. Exactly. Let's protect them. Let's come mm -hmm. on. There's such an abundance here. We need to protect them. But if they die, that goes away. They don't, they don't know, know that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this idea that they've been hired on. To, I like what you're saying, Adam. I want to use the same thing. Let's use these mechanics that are there. This you're not. You don't want to necessarily everything on behalf of the topaz dragon. Is it? Let's take out the topaz dragon. Let's get rid of them. Mm -hmm. So I like uh, the bronze dragon, or as you said. Uh, even a 
circle of druid, like several druids all come together and say, we'll pay you this much money if you take them out on behalf of the giant squids. Mm-hmm. Or even just a kingdom nearby that like this guy is ruining all the crops and all the things around it um, and needs needs it taken care of. Good, good. So how would you guys role play these topaz dragons? Uh, go away. <laughs> yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. very easily said that go away. They're not as arrogant. I would say, but they are still very much, I don't want to be aware. I don't want to be near you. No, you can't come into my place. Get out. And they'll they'll do everything they can to keep people away. Not kill them, but just keep them away. Uh, If they die, who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they don't, and I don't know that it's a rude thing. Like, they just don't want you there. It's their space. Can you not just respect that? Like, like I did not invite you here. Yeah. They're willing to be rude. They're willing to be rude, but I don't think off the bat they are just rude assholes. I think they just want to be by themselves. And why can't you understand that? So please leave. I don't have a welcome mat out. I want you not here. I've spent all this time making my lair. Let me sunbathe in peace. Uh huh. How about what is some evidence of there are these adult uh, topaz dragons nearby? Well, you're getting your regional effects now, but I think the the biggest um, clue is going to be the uh, no solicitors sign out front of the lair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Solicitors will be shot. <laughs> I think a big evidence along with that, if you're going by the sea or by the ship, is if you suddenly see an excess amount of giant squid attacking your ship. Because mm-hmm. it's within six miles and so you could easily pass by the shore here, and then all of a sudden you have not just one giant squid, but you have like six or seven attacking your ship. I think that's a bit of an evidence that one might be nearby. I think I would play into um, they will disintegrate things like ruins and old things that have fallen down, old kingdoms that aren't there anymore, cities that have been left. Um, your 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 players hear about these ruins that they have to go to to collect a thing for whoever and it's not there and why isn't it there it should be but it's just dust i think that would be a huge clue that they're in that area it's really neat to think about as well like we send a bunch of adventurers to go fight this dragon and um and uh they never came back and you go and you find their magic items all sitting in piles of dust Mm -hmm. which is what's left of the actual I'm getting real uh, Spielberg War of the Worlds kind of turn to dust shit, too. Yeah, actually, that's a good idea. Yeah. So what do you guys think about combat for these guys? Because for some reason, inevitably, they get into combat. Yeah, um, they're going to be hit and run, right? They're fast. They don't want to deal with you. They've got this um, psychic step, which the Crystal Dragons also got. So, like, is this just a thing that all adult gem dragons get? We'll see. Um, you'll notice there's no tail attack again. Again. Right. So is that a, a consistent um factor for gem dragons? We'll see. Um they don't have anti-life shell yet, which feels stupid. So I'm going to give that to them. This is when I want to flex that. Um, and then uh and other than that, like I'm not this is a fight, they're gonna hit and run. Um, of all of you know those uh those customizing dragons things. Um, those options you, you have a uh, chain shape, which they already get fly by mimicry. Mimicry doesn't make sense for these guys. Uh, rejuvenation doesn't make sense. Special senses, uh, they already have blind sight and dark vision. Um, 
and uh, and or Tunneler, right? So the only thing I'm really going to give them is uh, Flyby because they're going to hit and run. Then again, I'm going to give everybody Flyby because that's scary and stupid, and mm-hmm. and I like amazing. It. Yeah, they're dragons and they have wings, so why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why don't they just have that? <laughs> Especially because of their unique wings that feel predatory almost, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I like that for these guys. It really yeah. does make sense for them. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, like, if you are dumb enough to go into their lair after they clearly tell you not to, like they're using these layer actions. They're using that um, essential reduction. And I'm waiting until I think they're at that point where they're looking real bad before I use that because it takes all three of their points. So you got to save that. Um, but they're the cancellation and they're just going to really mess up your players and their spell slots and what they can do, the not being able to heal, um, taking away their spells. And then if you're still a problem and you're still there, they are not going to care if they turn you to dust. I would completely agree. Yeah. It's getting through the layer first. They're going to use everything possible to turn you away. And if you get close enough, they will turn you back to dust to go back to the earth. Mm -hmm. So agreed completely with both you guys. And then you turn into a ghost and you're part of their horde. (laughs) I don't know. It depends if they like you or not. So as we see these adults growing up, how do they look when they become ancient, Adam? Well, we get a big jump in CR, which I don't think is deserved, but follow me on this one. Um, we go from uh, from CR 13 to CR 20, um, but their AC only jumps by 2 up to 20, which feels low for CR 20. Uh, their hit points are 280 now instead of 210 on average. Again, that's a difference of 70, and by the time that you hit end of tier 4, that is a round of damage from your party. And they will be hitting, right? Like, this is... We are way, way, way up there now um, as far as their damage output goes. Um, and they will have saved it for the ancient dragon. So, I mean, you're you're going to get hit. Um, like the crystal dragons, strength and con get a big boost. Mental stats get smaller bumps. Um, and dexterity stays the same. Uh, that's you know pretty standard here. Skills and saves go up as you would expect them to. Speed, damage resistances languages and the range of their st- of their senses all stay the same um and you get anti-life shell which is too little too late and i would have already given it to them by now so um also their passive perception now is 26 and they have that uh, watery sight clairvoyance you're not sneaking up on these guys they again they know you're there they're an ancient dragon um when it comes to their attacks again there's no tail we get uh you know, multi-attack here. And with the, the adult, it was one bite and two claw attacks. And with the ancient, it is a whopping one bite and two claw attacks. What Why is this a CR 20? Mm-hmm. Oh, it comes down to the breath weapon. Uh, because the attack damages are are pitiful, right? The adult um, for the bite is 2d10 plus 4 piercing. Um, and the ancient does 2d10 plus 6 piercing. It goes from 1d6 necrotic in the bite to 3d6 necrotic, which is a difference of seven points of damage. Your barbarian, who is not resistant to necrotic damage, still does not give a shit. Mm-hmm. They lost a few teeth getting ancient. Yeah. It, and that's, again, if you are hitting, and remember, your guys will have ways around getting hit because it's level 20. Um, if you are hitting, even with your two claw attacks, 
it's 1d8 plus 4 when you're an adult, uh, slashing to 2d6 plus 6. So it's an average of 8, bumping up to a whopping 13, which means that's a 5, a, a, a 5 more damage on average per hit, like 10 more damage. That is nothing, nothing. Even the flyby attack, I don't care. Um, what does get a decent boost here is the breath weapon. It seems to be the only thing that Fizzvan's focused on for gem dragons that we've seen so far. Like the lair actions, the legendary actions, and the regional effects are all really cool. The lore is great. But when it comes to actually doing their actions, I mean, not even the spell casting is impressive, right? So it's all about the breath weapon. Um, it jumps from a DC 17 to a DC 20 constitution save. Now it's a 90 foot cone, which is great. That flyby just became even more fun. And uh, now it does 14d6 instead of 10d6, which just jumps from a 35 to a 49 on average, um, which is not a lot. That's an extra 14 damage. Considering this is seven levels later, this is not a lot. But remember, there's all sorts of you're not hitting as hard. You are not able to heal. Like this is going to stack up. It's actually a little deadlier than it sounds. Everything else is the same. Layer actions and regional effects are the same. The legendary action of essential reduction is the only thing that uh, mechanically changes, where the, the DC 19 uh, constitution save replaces DC 17. And now it does 98 instead of 8D6. And for those of you following along at home to do the math, that means that um, they go from... Uh, that means that they go from roughly 28 points of damage to 40 points of necrotic damage um or they and then they crumble to dust right so um i'm absolutely going to hit the same person over and over again with the desiccating breath then the legendary action um of the essential reduction so that i'm hitting them for these this big you know con save and then another big con save um and then um I think the negative energy infusion with the layer action for another big con save. It's all necrotic damage. Bang, bang, bang. Um, it's going to really fuck up one character at a time. Um, and that is, I think, the most impressive thing about this uh, ancient dragon. Because, like I say, it doesn't have hit points. doesn't have AC. Um, it doesn't have a whole lot of really neat tricks. So it, it's going to rely on the fact that it can outlast you guys. Uh, you guys, the party, and it's, uh, it's going to rely on this these big con saves. So I'm, uh, I, I am excited about this guy in combat. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. That does sound pretty epic. How would these guys be involved in some sort of adventure? Don't roll. Let's roll for it. Seven. I got a two. I got a nat twenty. Hold on. Before we get started, though, I want to I want to point out the connections because I always forget this every time we do a dragon episode. Now. Um, I chose two as a D4 table because ancient dragons already have all of the connections from adult and young and wormling that are still, in theory, active. Um, so the two that jumped out to me, two of the four, by the way, are about fighting um, uh, bronze dragons. So um, one of them is an ancient topaz dragons decided to set local ogre and bandit clans against one another, hoping that they will wipe each other out. These guys have a high intelligence score. There's nothing in the stats or the lore that made me think they're schemers, but they are an ancient dragon, so let's not forget that that's always on the table. Um, and then uh, the other one that I really liked was an ancient bronze dragon and an ancient topaz dragon are locked in an ongoing conflict that threatens shipping and caravans around a major city. And that feels to me like the topaz dragon is, you know, stop sailing 
stop coming through my lands stop it and the bronze dragon's like i will protect you and destruction reigns as a result right nice i think for some sort of adventure hook or quest for these guys since it's an ancient dragon and they have the end goal in mind they are destroying swaths of land and so you've been hired on by neighboring kingdoms to stop this guy because he's going across the coast, along the coast, just destroying the land to make room for new creation. And there are several towns there and some major cities. Stop him before he gets there by whatever means necessary. It's not going to be a big bad, but it's still going to be a tier four thing that you have to do. That's a good side quest. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. You deal the repercussions of it. But I think it's a fun thing for your party of adventurers to see how they handle it. I think with these guys, the most fun as a DM you could have is getting your players in their lair. However, that's also one of the hardest things. Why would your players go to their lair? Um, especially with these ones, they have no reason to go and they have every reason not to go. So it would have to be giving them a reason for that. So I would use their giant squid that they love, wrecked a ship. And that ship had a very important thing on it that they then put in their hoard because they like nautical shit. So they took that ship and put it in their hoard. And this kingdom has requested that you guys go and get this thing back because it's extremely important to them. And I think that gives you a good reason and it kind of ties in everything that we know about them so far. Um, and it gives you a reason to be there and to use all the fun things that you get. Um, so bear with me on this. Curse of Strahd. Uh, Strahd is a uh, polymorphed topaz dragon. <laughs> necrotic energy as far as the eye can see really mm -hmm. cool regional effects really cool layer effects and don't come anywhere near me did i marry a dragon is that what you're telling me i think the only thing that doesn't make <laughs> sense is all of the mirrors right but i think that would be really flavorful in a in a curse of straw campaign like you walk in and like the place is decked out in in hundreds of mirrors and he casts no reflection in them right like that's really good fun atmosphere that's not going to change the campaign at all like Strahd used to be a thing and Topaz Dragon moved in and was like oh you're interesting you're undead you're interesting and then Strahd became too much of a charismatic powerhouse so the dragon just fucking killed him and uh change shaped into him yeah and then replaced him and nobody knows and so this is when you've already run Curse of Strahd the first time and then the second time it's uh it's come up and it's just all this like extra necrotic shit happening. And he is not interested in brides or wives. Doesn't care. He's going to hide in his tower. Every once in a while, he'll come out and he'll look at you and be like, stop killing my undead. Ah. And then he will go away again. Sorry, Peps. <laughs> well, it's, it's I was one this the close other, to you know? being married to a dragon and then you took it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you could still be. He's He is polymorphed into him. You just don't know it. I was a druid when I married Strad, also, so that. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, how would you guys role play these dragons? How would how would they be acting? I suppose I'm first again. You're first. <laughs> Why is that nat twenty? <laughs> so, with the topaz dragons, I would definitely play these ancients with long game in mind, that they do not care for the pleas of other people of no don't do that see you don't need to destroy us and go from the aspect of i'm making room for the next thing to come in it is my responsibility to do this so either get out of my way 
or I will add you to the dust that I'm going to make this plane into. They just don't care. And then they go back to their layers. They do this for a short period, go back. But that's how I would play these guys. Just indicative of everyone else around them. Yeah, I think like, like they're centuries old at this point. They would go so long before coming out of their, their layer that I think they would be legends. Um, and they would just be like, to others, I feel like they would be cranky, like cranky old men, uh, just like, get off my lawn. Um, but to them, it's just like, they're just trying to be themselves in their area without getting interrupted. So they don't want you, they don't want you on their land. They don't want you near them. They're like, just go away. And they're gonna just do their thing. Um, and I think they're very misunderstood and what their thing is because outwardly it looks like they're destroying things, but they're actually destroying things to replace things, to grow new. Um, so I, they're just, they're misunderstood loners that don't want you on their grass. I don't know. With with these guys, I'm feeling they're, um, you, you guys are all beneath me. I'm going to outlive you. The circle of life hits hard and uh, and you will die. Why are you struggling so hard against all of this? Just go over there, eat some calamari, and keep to yourselves. You don't need to come over here. Mm -hmm. Also, leave your sparkly shit. But there's almost an ambivalence, a a disinterest, I think, from these guys. Whereas before, um, it would be uh, a not quite violent, but a, a a committed standoffishness. At this point, they just don't want to be bothered. I mean, they're going to be pissed if you enter their lair. But if you end up finding one on the edges of their their region, um, of their influence, they're going to be mostly disinterested. Uh, you are not worth their time. And they're not interested in anything you have to say. We'll trade with you. I don't care. We have a quest. I don't care. There's a big evil. I don't care. They will all come and go and everything dies. Circle of life, that's fine. When you are done with your dinner, please just bury the remains at the base of the tree so that the nutrients can hit the soil and then move on. I think at this point, too, it doesn't care if it even dies itself because it realizes I'm just going to add to the circle of life. Well, I, there's a, the, look, there's always a certain amount of, of ego. I think that they're probably they're going to accept it best in the in the old dragon's retirement home. Right. They're not going to get depressed about it, but they are they have seen probably their own offspring some of them die off as well because they don't well they're not good enough who gives a shit they, they couldn't make it so um there's a real detached pragmatism but i wouldn't say it's depression i think it it was when they had their initial you know existential crises when they were you know young dragons but i i honestly think that at this point it's more you have got to try real hard to get them to care about something and I can't imagine what that thing would be. I think the only in is just bringing them a giant squid so they don't have to get wet to get it. <laughs> like that's the only, if you want them to listen to you. You, you gotta be, that's... you gotta be skip the dishes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You gotta... <laughs> skip the squid. Yeah. You gotta, I think that's the only thing that they would necessarily care about. If you came and showed up and we're like, we brought you this giant squid. Or you're willing <laughs> to wipe out the bronze dragon. Uh-huh. 
the bronze adult dragon that's yeah. just causing him trouble yeah so what are some exploration ideas for these guys how can you know that they are around uh one thing i would say is you would know they're around you would have heard of them they are ancient dragons but even if you're just looking at the land i imagine that the land is i wouldn't say barren i would say it has new life around it because they've already destroyed the land around their lair and it's had time to grow since so it's vibrant land around them because it's gone through this idea of destruction and creation and it's maybe even done it a few times so it's even more so so it looks absolutely gorgeous where they are and then the seaside you can hear the waves in the background it is a wonderful place to be until you realize that thing is nearby if you don't know already yeah i think at this point they are probably in a sort of hibernation in their their lair they really just don't want to see anybody else so they don't leave except for to get food um which they can just go out through a tunnel into the sea they don't even have to fly to get to them and bring it back dishes yeah um so i think a lot of it would be legends that you would hear through yeah my you know grandfather said when he was young he saw this thing flying and um like you said you would see new growth and it would be just like nobody knows if it's real or not or just old wives tales through the generations of their families but it is and it it's sort of finding that out um so i pitched curse of straw a moment ago mm-hmm. but i'm thinking about the environment they would live in because i think you're right tyler there, there would be like lush growth all over um a coastal region just teeming with life but full of, of necrotic shit. That's Chult. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. There's a topaz dragon in Chult to the point where they might have actually collected um, a Sararax horde could be the topaz dragon. And the topaz dragon, the ancient topaz dragon, has left or has died or whatever. And that's what the Tomb of Annihilation is now. All of those traps were set up because fuck off, leave me alone. And a Sararak is the only malevolent presence there anymore. I would totally build a Topaz Dragon into Tomb of Annihilation. That could absolutely work. Or at the very least, have the spines of a Topaz Dragon as part of the horde. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. What about for combat idea, guys? What have you got here? Again, these guys, all layer effects. You are entering into their home. Their home is going to attack you. And as you said, Adam, it's not worth their time unless you make it right up to them. And I have a feeling that he's just at that point going to be angry that I've asked you to leave several times and you have still come here. Tell me what you want now and then I'll decide. So he is going to use his layer effects to to no end on you. And this uh, this eradication that he does, he's going to... Do that as much as possible, one character at a time, and get them until they are dust. But that's essentially, it, it, as you said, it's mainly the special uh, the the special attacks that he has, his breath weapon and that eradication ray. That's going to be your big things he's going to use in his combat, or he's going to take you underwater. Maybe even both. Um, yeah, I would I would definitely agree. Like you, you're not relying on your bite and your claw; you're relying on the special things, the layer actions, the um legendary actions again saving that legendary action um until just the right moment i think is key to really take down the player um 
because again, you only get, you get three and that essential re reduction costs all three. So you have to save it. Um, so relying on your breath weapon, relying on your layer actions is the best route to go. I, I said it before, necrotic, 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 right? I don't think that they're ever going to get within range, especially with a 90 foot cone um, for their breath weapon. And they're relying on their regional and their layer effects, or sorry, the legendary actions and their layer effects. Um, not only will you not ever, like, okay, so you know how no one can see their, their horde? Mm -hmm. It's clearly a panic room, right? And <laughs> yes, and I think that uh, I think that they've got um, tiny little openings where they can like put their snout up against little holes and blow out and fill corridors with their breath weapon, right? But if you try to get up to it um, and shoot through the holes, it's uh, it's just gonna move out of the way, like off to the left. You can't get it, right? Like it will have designed this to be a panic room that you can only get into from you know an underwater pool that's difficult to find or you have to fly in from the top hundreds of feet in the air or you know they're going to almost be like bunkered in short of like your your meld stone um you're gonna have an issue dealing with this and uh i think that that's going to be the best way that they're going to discourage people from being there mm -hmm. i like it a dragon with a panic room excellent yeah. And I think even like once, if you do kill them, getting to their horde room will still be next to impossible. And you, your players could still die even just trying to get there. Absolutely. Oh yeah. All right. So before we wrap up this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram, or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes and comments. Engagement like that help us pop up on search engines and keep the show running. Okay, so... In the past episode, we we covered crystal dragons, um, and they were really outgoing and all about radiant damage. These guys are really um, introverted and uh, are all about necrotic damage. We're seeing the design consistencies now between um, what the gem dragons look like. Which one do you like better thematically? Which one are you going to use in a campaign first? I would definitely use the crystal dragon first before the topaz. Yeah, I think the crystal dragon's a lot easier to use. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Like, I like the topaz dragon, and there are some specific, like I say, Chult, the second time through Curse of Strahd. There are, as an adult dragon, it makes for a good mid-campaign, you know, quest. But this is going to be one of the ones that if I can only jam 10 dragons into a campaign, I'm not going to use a topaz dragon. I probably won't. Like, that's, that's just it. There are some dragons that I just don't... Be, I like all of the metallic dragons, but I'm probably not going to use a copper if I, if I have to knock one out, right? Um, I and for me, I wouldn't use a black dragon if I if I can only use four one per tier. I wouldn't use a black. I find the other four to be more interesting. Um, this so far, topaz is my least favorite gem, and I know I've only done two, but like I, I I can't imagine the others are are less accessible than this. I like the special abilities they have, but it's it doesn't neat. warrant enough. Again, you know what? You know what I'm going to use this 
uh, four, I'm going to use this when uh, when I want a Shadow Dragon, right? That'll work. Because that's thematically all going to like line up quite nicely. So. so that's all for our discussion on Topaz Dragons. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be sitting down to talk about an incredibly common and often disappointing aspect of character creation. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com. We have a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. So let's look at the couple quotes we see in the book that directly from him. First one says, a topaz dragon named bluster fail no i'm gonna try that again that's not bluster that was a bluster fail thanks again for listening to it's a mimic where you never know where you're gonna get you gotta do it again because where you never know where you're gonna get no i just (laughs) let me try one okay it's although it's the first time that you've probably seen me do this yep (laughs) i do that all the time for kyle dave and dan Okay. Because they're the three that'll that'll go off on tangents. I don't do that so much with Terry um, or Pepperina because they're very very succinct. Uh, succinct. But uh, no, like you're you're a tangent guy, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like the way I met Terry was talking about dragons. Yeah. On Instagram, like that's how we started our friendship to begin with. Well, perhaps it was awesome to do these two yes. episodes with you and to actually meet you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you next time.